Public policy coverage in North Carolina is supported by Electricities of North Carolina, the service organization that supports municipally owned electric utilities, also known as public power providers across the state. These locally owned, locally operated public enterprises provide significant value to their customers and communities. To learn more about Electric Cities, visit electriccities.com. For the News and Observer and the NC Insider, I'm Don Vaughn, your host for Under the Dome for the week of Monday, October 10th, 2022. I'm here with my colleague, Will Doran. One of Will's beats on our politics team is courts. There's been some action lately, some live action out here. There are also judicial races on the ballot, so it's not just what's in court, it's who's on the bench and, and everything else. So let's get rolling. Will, bring us up to speed on the latest in voter ID, uh, which was at the North Carolina Supreme Court recently. Yes, we had two big political cases uh, last week, uh, one on voter ID, one on redistricting at the Supreme Court. And obviously, these are topics that we write about a lot here in North Carolina. They are constantly in court. I mean, the last decade has been just, you know, I don't know if we've ever gone more than a couple months without, you know, <laughs> a lawsuit on one of these things. Uh, but we had oral arguments at the state Supreme Court. Um, so these should be wrapping up relatively soon, you'd think. And uh, like you said, Don, it is the timing is notable because here we are in October. It's just a month out from the election. Republicans were mad that the Supreme Court was even hearing these cases. Uh, they said, you know, obviously they're not going to issue a ruling before the election. So there's no reason to rush and do this here before the end of the year. Obviously, the subtext is Republicans are hoping to flip the majority on the state Supreme Court. It's currently a Democratic majority, but there are two seats up for election in November. If Republicans win even one of those, they will take back the majority. So they were hoping to hear these cases next year when they might have a majority. But obviously, the current Democratic majority wanted to go ahead and get them out of the way now. So why, why does it matter who the majority or minority party is on the Supreme Court? And what does that have to do with what the, the parties in the legislature want? These are inherently political cases. And obviously, judges want to stay above politics. But here in North Carolina, we elect our judges in partisan elections. And typically for years, I mean, this is not a recent thing. This is what's the case when Republicans had a majority on the court. This is the case now with Democrats on the court. In political cases, you typically see the justices rule in the favor of their political party's arguments. And so obviously, Republicans want to implement voter ID. They want to have more power to engage in partisan gerrymandering. Uh, Democrats tend to be skeptical of those things. And right now, Democrats have power on the court. So with voter ID... I mean, that's been on the ballot before. So what, what's what's going on with the, the current status of the case and, and where that is? And we'll talk in a little bit about um, an interview I had recently with House Speaker Moore, who had a lot to say about voter ID uh, and griped about that and, and where things stand. So uh, give listeners the context of voter ID when it when it was on the ballot and and why it's coming through now before the election. Sure. So voter ID has been just really convoluted. I mean, it, it's tough for even us reporters to keep track of, in part because there's three different lawsuits going on challenging this law that we passed in 2018. Actually, not not even just a law. It's, there's both a law and a constitutional amendment. And so there are two lawsuits 
challenging the law and one lawsuit challenging the validity of the amendment that basically allowed for the law to be passed. So this was one of the ones that was about the law itself. Uh, Earlier this year in late August, the Supreme Court uh, ruled in one of the other lawsuits about the amendment said it looks like the legislature actually lacked the legitimacy to even propose a constitutional amendment in 2018. Uh, They found that the legislature was just so racially gerrymandered for really that entire decade of the 2010s that it didn't, you know, black voters were not properly represented in the state legislature. And so therefore the legislature lacked the authority to propose these constitutional amendments. This lawsuit that I covered last week was more on the actual details of the law itself and will voter ID as the challengers claim unfairly burden black and Hispanic voters um, as well as college students, uh, all of whom tend to vote uh, democratic. And they say that they are being targeted for, you know, both their, their race and also their political leanings. Uh, Republicans say that, look, this passed on the ballot. You know, when we put this before voters, it got 55% of the vote. People want this. They put in the state constitution. You know, there's not really a case to be made against it. Um, and, you know, the the subtext is, you know, like I said, uh, you know, Democratic voters fear that this will harm particularly African-American voters. And the state's previous attempt at voter ID uh, from back in 2013 Uh, which was also combined with a whole lot of other kind of uh, what critics called voter suppression laws, like, you know, eliminating Sunday voting and cutting down on early voting. That was ruled unconstitutional for racial discrimination. The legislature then was highly critical of that and said, you know, this is a illegitimate ruling that was in federal court, not state court. Um, But, you know, then it was all of the same people who supported that previous law that had gotten ruled unconstitutional for racial discrimination came back and immediately wrote this new law with, you know, it wasn't the exact same, but it w- had very similar language in it. There were six amendments on the ballot that year, right? So why why is this the one that stands out or is it because of what it what it's about? Or this is just what's coming up now, the voter ID one? Yes, there were, there were six amendments. Two of them failed. Uh, voters shot two of them down, which basically both of them were kind of aimed at taking power away from Governor Roy Cooper and giving it to the legislature. Um, voters shot both of those down Four others passed. Um, there, there was one that was just, you know, like guarantee the right to hunt and fish, which, you know, no one had really ever been talking about getting rid of. Um, it was mostly just on the ballot cause it was 2018. It was a blue wave election year and, you know, Republicans wanted something to get out the vote and it, it worked, you know, it got uh, strong support. Um, but the, the voter ID one was definitely the most controversial that year. There was also one to basically like limit the amount that future legislatures can ever raise the state income tax level to. Um, So, you know, if Democrats wanted, got back into power, wanted to raise back up the corporate tax rate, which is set to go to 0% in a couple of years, they would not be able to raise it as high as they previously would have been able to. Um, And that has also been challenged in court. So let's talk about these justices themselves. Uh, um, What's the Tell everybody who who's on the ballot for the Supreme Court, and again, what you were saying a little bit earlier about how their um, the partisan factor plays into all of this. Sure, yeah, it's you know obviously judges want to stay above the political fray, but you know 
they have to get elected in political elections. It's, it's not really possible to, to completely separate politics from the bench. Um, and we've got two races this year. Um, one of them is an incumbent Democratic justice. Uh, Sam Irvin IV uh, is running for re-election. Uh, he is running against Trey Allen, uh, who is uh, currently the, the lawyer for the state court system. Uh, he's very close with Chief Justice Paul Newby, who uh, fired the previous general counsel of the court system so that he could hire Trey Allen for that job uh, when when Newby became the chief justice. Um, and, you know, kind of uh, you know, Newby's not really allowed to make endorsements in races, but he all but endorsed Allen for this race. Um, so Allen's Democrat. Irvin is or Allen is the Republican. Irvin is the Democrat. Um, and that'll be an interesting race to watch, um, in part because Allen doesn't have prior experience as a judge. He's, he's been a lawyer for many years, uh, but he's never been a judge. Uh, Irvin has been a judge for uh, well over a decade, close to two decades, I believe. Um, and then the other race is a little bit different in that there's not an incumbent running in the race, and both of the candidates have essentially the same resume, just different party affiliations. And that is uh, Lucy Inman and Richard Dietz. Uh, they're both currently on the state court of appeals, They've been on the state court of appeals for basically the same amount of time. Uh, Inman is a Democrat. Dietz is a Republican. Uh, they're both, you know, fairly well thought of in the legal community. Um, and so, you know, that race, you know, th- their resumes aren't too different. Uh, it's basically just, you know, will voters want a Democrat or Republican? All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to talk more about the election on the legislative end. And uh, we'll also have our picks for headliner of the week. So we'll be back in just a sec. You're listening to Under the Dome. I'm News and Observer politics reporter Don Vaughn here with Will Doran. Don, you had a really kind of in-depth story speaking with all of the legislative leaders. And I was curious uh, if you could tell our listeners a little bit about kind of, you know, what motivated that. I mean, obviously, we've got a lot of elections coming up, uh, but also just what were some of the highlights that they had to say about, uh, you know, their priorities for, you know, looking ahead to 2023? So it's not easy to write about 170 races, which is why we have that grant that we talked about on our last Under the Dome episode, Project 170, where Kyle Ingram, who was our politics intern this past summer, um, it, the grant funded him sending out candidate questionnaires and going through all of those for all 170 races across the state. So that's that's the broad look at everything. The other look the, is the the power, what, what's going to happen. And so there are basically three ways that things can go. The things will stay the same, which is, you know, obviously the, the governor's race is not on the ballot this year. So a Democratic governor, Republican majorities in the House and the Senate. And the other op- uh, option is, are Republicans going to get a supermajority? And once you have a supermajority, you don't need any Democrats to vote with you or depending on who's in the chamber at the time to, to pass things to override override vetoes from, from Governor Cooper. And the third scenario is that, you know, what Democrats are hoping for, there's n- very few people that actually think this is going to happen, but you never know. You know, obviously, there's no point in, in making predictions because you'll be wrong. But it could be that that Democrats actually gain seats. Now, would that mean that maybe one chamber could go supermajority and um, Republican and the other one is just majority Republican or that Democrats buy, you know, one seat or something, take take a majority? That would probably surprise everybody. I asked uh, Governor Cooper um, this past week 
about it. And he said, quote, and this is this is from that story you guys can read on newsobserver.com. In North Carolina, we're going to, this is him saying we as a, as a Democrat, since he's head of the Democratic Party. In North Carolina, we're going to be on the defensive because I think most any result, you're still going to see a Republican majority in the state legislature. So there's the Democratic governor of the state not thinking that that scenario with Democrats is, is going to play out. So there's a good chance it's just going to be the same. And so what I have in the, in the story, I had sit-downs with um, Burr didn't want to do a sit-down. More, I had a, a lot of what we talked about was if Republicans had the supermajority, what would that look like? What would his priorities be? And he was pretty transparent about it, which is great because people deserve to know what the government wants to do when you have control over that. And with the uh, Democratic leaders, uh, Blue and Reeves, uh, our conversation was a lot more of, um, sure, it, you know, if you actually had, you know, the power, what would you do? But also, how are you going to work within the system of, you know, if Republicans have a supermajority or or if it's the same thing? And I have a side story about is, are there room for, for moderates in the legislature? Because not everybody is the same. You know, I asked more about the, the Trump MAGA wing of his party. Isn't everyone in the House Republican caucus? Probably the louder ones, but not everybody. On the Democratic side, obviously, these are very different political things, but, you know, each caucus has, you know, the range of people. Um, and for a Democrat, Senator Blue said that he would describe the Senate Democratic caucus overall as moderate. Um, we saw what happened with, with a lawmaker described as more moderate in the primaries. And I talked to politics professor Chris Cooper, which I'm sure you all have heard on many politics podcasts. I don't know if we've had him on here yet. I think we have. Uh, and, and, and probably will again about uh, the difference between like how how you're a moderate in the general election versus the primary. And it's not that the issues change. It's more about what you uh, this is Chris Cooper's quote. So much about politics is which issue you highlight when. So all these issues, of course, abortion is top of mind for for Democrats um, inflation taxes is top of mind for Republicans. And it's all, what do you want to make sure voters know about, or you think is going to drive them to, to vote for you. So, um, that's some of what we're doing, uh, trying to just get a, a look at like just this whole thing that, that impacts our state, which is, it's wild that, um, control of your state legislature and your state government is considered down ballot when there's federal races because it's so significant. But, um, make sure you pay attention to that and even further down the ballot, your your local races. Yeah, obviously, there's a lot of, you know, time and money and attention spent on the congressional races. Um, but I think you're right. The, the legislative races are really probably have a bigger chance to impact people's lives than the, the congressional races this year. Um, obviously, you know, Democrats are hoping that Sherry Beasley can beat Ted Budd and maybe, you know, help them hang on to control in the Senate. But, you know, from what I've seen in national politics, I don't think anyone expects Democrats to hold a majority in the in the U.S. House. Um, but looking at the state legislature here, you know, obviously, if if uh, the Republicans were to get back a supermajority like they had for for much of the 2010s, you know, we could see um, obviously, you know, the base would be clamoring for, um, you know, something new on abortion um, and probably more movement on uh, taxes potentially, although uh, Republicans have been pretty, uh, pretty active on, on tax cuts for the past few years. So we'll have to see if that happens. Um, obviously too, if, you know, Republicans do manage to flip the majority on the Supreme court, 
um, as well as gaining a supermajority in the legislature that would, you know, basically open them up to do uh, really, you know, implement their in- entire uh, agenda. You know, uh, G- Governor Cooper would be unable to stop them with vetoes and then they would have the, the legislative and the judicial branches. So, you know, you, we could see here, you know, depending on how those races go, um, either kind of more of the same uh, that we've seen in recent years or really a, a, a big shift to the right. Senator Blue, who has been in both chambers of the General Assembly for several years, said that uh, regardless of if the Republican leadership had said what, what they plan to do, he said you've already seen their playbook and, and Blue and Berger have worked together for a very long time. Um, they actually have a pretty cordial relationship. And, and so Blue talked about some about about uh, what he's seen with Republicans before and what the what they'd be more likely to do. And Reese talked a lot. Reese is a little bit different of, of the four. Um, Berger and Moore running unopposed. Uh, blue is in a solidly blue district, and Reese has a really competitive race. Uh, he talked a lot about what he would like to do with the, the workforce and, and the state um, and less about uh, what's what's going on in the particular chamber. But anyway, you can read more of, of what they said. Again, on our uh, newsobserver.com, my coverage, Will's coverage, the rest of our team coverage from Danielle and Luciana and Avi as well. Well, and Don, I'm I'm wondering too, you know, obviously we've got big elections coming up. They probably weren't giving away everything uh, that they plan. I mean, were, were there things that you tried to, to ask them about that they just didn't want to talk about? Uh, I think you can see, and for my story on the moderates, I qu- quoted, you know, both Blue and more. I did ask Reese, didn't get like a very specific answer about it. Uh, Blue could speak a little bit more about his caucus because part of that moderate story is um, sitting uh, Democratic Senator Kirk Devier being primaried by Cooper and, and Blue talked a little bit about that. So, I mean, obviously Berger didn't want to talk about it for, you know, because that's Berger and that's the Senate, uh, some of it. But then Blue's like, well, you already know, you know. Uh, but again, what I was saying about Speaker Moore being pretty transparent about part of it was what I asked about. He, you know, went on for a bit about his thoughts on the Supreme Court and voter ID and what he would want with voting. He doesn't think that there's going to be restrictions is not how he described it. And then I asked about the anti-CRT bill and, and I said, well, what else haven't we talked about? You know, I asked him about taxes and I said, is there something else you bring back? And he said, the rioting bill again. So if you all remember that, so they'll, they'll be more. So basically what, what the governor vetoed on the House side anyway, they, they want to bring back if they had the supermajority, which obviously that's what you would do if you're in power. So, all right, well, let's um, get to headliner of the week. Uh, will, you go first. What's your pick? Well, my headliner has got to be marijuana after President Biden's bombshell announcement that he was pardoning everybody with a federal record for simple possession. uh, That's going to let a grand total of zero people uh, out of prison. There's nobody currently in federal prison just for simple possession. That's a little bit too small potatoes for the feds. Um, But it'll, you know, clear some people's records who had had that charge in the past. And also the really the two bigger things that he did were one, he urged governors to follow suit and pardon people in their state prison systems uh, with simple marijuana possession. I mean, that would be tens of thousands of people in North Carolina um, and, you know, probably millions of people nationwide, you know, when you're looking at not just, you know, people currently in prison, but also people who are out, but have the record that is, you know, preventing them from being able to rent an apartment, preventing them from being able to get a job, things like that. Um, And he also started a push uh, for potential decriminalization. Um, and 
at the federal level. And that's actually the same thing that here at the state level, our racial justice task force in 2020 recommended that we do. Uh, the state legislature has not moved on that so far. Um, and I don't know that uh, the Republican leaders are going to be too moved by uh, by President Biden on this, but uh, you know, just kind of adding adding more push uh, in addition to the, the public opinion that supports this. Medical marijuana is one of the questions on our legislative questionnaire. So be sure to check out those and, and everything else with those uh, Project 170 questionnaires. So my headline is Carnersville, Archdale, Burlington, Salisbury. That's my pretty poor impression of uh, ESPN sports commentator Stephen A. Smith, who this uh, viral tweet video clip of him, viral North Carolina anyway, because everyone in North Carolina has strong opinions and comments and jokes about North Carolina because that's just how we are. And it was him saying about how he knows North Carolina and, you know, it's reminiscent of uh, P.D. Pablo's Raise Up, where, like, you know, everybody gets uh, everybody gets mentioned. That's not the Raleigh or Durham or Chapel Hill or Charlotte or Wilmington. But instead, it's Carnersville and Archda- Archdale, which I believe was where Stephen A. Smith's first job was here. He went to Winston-Salem State University. So Burlington, which I think uh, our 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 producer, uh, Laura Brache, knows something about. And then, of course, Salisbury, where um, Food Line and Sherwine, I believe, is, is from. So anyway, uh, my headliner is the the lesser mentioned uh, North Carolina cities that get national attention here and there. And uh, the other really funny one recently was when uh, Keenan Thompson on on SNL being the uh, the dad of, of the ball kids saying, calling Charlotte gateway to Gastonia, which is, is just great. So. Anyway, all right. Well, it's uh, going to be a wild next month in, in North Carolina politics. Uh, thanks for listening to us. Uh, I'm Don Vaughn for me and Will Doran. We'll talk to you next time. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider and sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.